Welcome to the Sales Management Podcast, your source for actionable sales management strategies and tactics. I'm your host, Corey Bray. No long intros, no long ads. Let's go. Today's topic is the competency matrix. I figured I'd come up with a real fancy sounding phrase today to impress everybody. It's funny, it sounds sounds fancy. You've probably heard this before. When, when I think about competency, it's really just a fancy word for something that people need to know or do. And then matrix obviously is just one of my favorite ways of displaying information given the fact that spreadsheets are my favorite tool ever actually two people on my team this year independently bought me a coffee cup. It was hilarious. It says, got a picture of the Microsoft Excel logo and it says freak in the sheets. You got to love it when you're, when your employees are throwing some innuendo around, around the holidays. That was fun. So got a couple of freak in the sheets, coffee mugs for my Microsoft Excel. I wouldn't say skills. I used to spend a lot of time in there and I'm pretty, I was taught early on that the presentation of a spreadsheet matters way more than you think. It doesn't matter more than the information in there, but oftentimes if it's if it doesn't look addressable and consumable and like it was well thought out, then people dismiss it at face value. And I think that ties in well with what we're talking about today around competency. If we're, we've got an employee, if we've got somebody that's either inside the organization or that we're bringing in and it doesn't look on the surface like they've got the knowledge and the skill that they need to do the job, they might not be taken as seriously as, as they'd want to be. They might be dismissed. And without really digging in and understanding where is that person at, it's hard to improve what, what their current position is. I always say that it's, it's dang near impossible to solve an undefined problem. And I'm, I'm a real big fan of let's define the problems and let's address them as opposed to just acknowledging that something's wrong, something exists but without digging into it. So when we think about the, the the competency piece, it's it's a combination of what does someone know and what is someone able to do? And the key here is that simply knowing something isn't enough. The, the question is, can you do it? Can you ask a good discovery question? Can you do it well? Can you do it well under pressure when you've got the most important prospect, or at least in your mind, that you've ever talked to before it's not just knowing how to do it or being able to do it in a role play. Can you do it under pressure when it counts? And one of the sayings that Hellman always has, Hellman, my co-founder, coach CRM, he always says, if we all did what we knew, we'd be skinny, rich, and happy. And, and maybe you are, maybe your team is, but everybody probably isn't. Because the other thing that we like to say is that, what do you call somebody that's a complete master of their role and the best that there's ever been. Well, the, you call them not in that role anymore because they probably got promoted or left to go do something else. So everybody's always developing. So let's let's talk about let's talk about the idea of competencies. And I'll use another analogy to to dig into this. So you, there's different levels of competence that need to be examined, and, and understanding at what level we're looking is is critical. So you don't go too deep, but at the same time, you don't go too shallow. I just got back from uh, Christmas with some family. We were at a ranch and at the ranch, I like to cook. It's funny. I hardly ever cook for myself, but with it's a big group of people, let's go. And I, my specialty is, is, is meats. So I think let's, let's talk about competencies in the context of food. So you could, you could evaluate someone across 
let's say meals, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Well, how, how good is this person at preparing breakfast or how good are they at preparing lunch or how good are they preparing dinner? That's, that's one way to look at it at, at a certain level, or we could drill down. Let's, let's look at dinner. For example, there might be meats, vegetables, desserts, maybe an appetizer, et cetera. So we could look at something like that or another way to look at a competency could be, well, let's, let's focus in on the meat and say, are we grilling it, smoking it, cooking it in a pan or an oven, or even deeper, if we're just talking about smoking, is it a wood smoker versus an electric pellet smoker? So where does this person's competence lie on a scale? And this, we can talk about scales in a little bit. The idea with scales is, you know, maybe it's, uh, the one I like is zero to four. And I think it's critical that when you're, when you're gauging someone's competence, so let's talk about the ability to smoke ribs. Well, if you've never smoked ribs before, you're zero. You've never done it. You don't know how to do it. And that's that's key. And I think one thing that folks don't appreciate is that someone might be in a role and one of the things that they're required to do in the role, they might not have competence around yet. And people people don't like to be labeled as zeros. So one of the big things I'm trying to figure out personally is how do we how do we work through that and acknowledge that zeros exist, but people don't like that. That's uh that's a topic for another day. And the key is that we've got scores that are at the right level. So are we talking breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Are we talking about smoking brisket on an electric smoker versus a versus a wood smoker? And then making sure that we we're able to objectively score those. So someone that has complete mastery on the scale of zero to four would be a four. You know, they're going to impress everybody every time that they do it. Somebody's never done it before is a zero, and then everybody else is in between. Well, getting back to sales, the high-level competencies for a, a salesperson, an account executive, a closer, might be something like discovery, demo, sales process, forecasting, et cetera. Items like that. So the level that we're working at is more granular than just sales, but we're not getting down into the types of discovery questions they ask or the transitions and demos. So I think for the rest of today, we're going to just stay at that level of the core jobs to be done of the person in the role. And there's there's three kind of levels of the scale. You've either got something that they've achieved mastery of. And so on the zero to four scale, that would be a four. You've got something that is undeveloped, which would be that zero. And then everything in between is developing. They've achieved, achieved some competence and maybe they're okay at discovery calls. Maybe they can get through a demo with one person, but they might struggle with a, a multi-stakeholder demo. Those people are developing. They haven't yet achieved mastery. And the key is to know where people are today. And the best place to start this examination, this evaluation is when you're hiring folks, bringing them into the company. So what's the best way to do that? How do we integrate that into the interview process to understand where do people have mastery? Where are they developing and where are they underdeveloped? This is where this idea of a matrix comes in. So now imagine you've got a spreadsheet and in column A, you've got a list of all these different competencies. You've got discovery on the first row. You've got demo in the second row. You've got sales process on the third row. And then you've got a score in the second column. So next to each one of these, you might have a zero, a one, two, three, a four. Well, if we can objectively evaluate these folks and understand where they're at, through the interview process, then at least we have an idea of what we're what we're starting to work with. And like like I mentioned earlier, if somebody is a, a complete master of all of these, they're probably not interviewing to work at your company. So what can we tolerate? What are we okay working with if a person is still developing or if they could, if they've completely underdeveloped 
competencies in, in certain areas. And maybe that means that they're just ready for a different job. So they're not ready for that big enterprise sales job. They might think they're, they are, but you might offer them a job on the mid-market or the SMB team. That's, that's perfectly fine. And then in terms of internal promotions, this is where it becomes much easier because you have more visibility into where that person is today. It doesn't have to be something that's just gauged through an interview process. They can actually look and, and observe where, what's this person able to demonstrate in the role? And obviously anybody that's ever promoted someone internally, the, the key is not how good are they at their job today, but how well positioned are they to do the job of tomorrow? I gave a speech a couple of years ago at a big sales kickoff. One of the, the groups I was talking to was a sales development team. And they were pretty senior. They'd all been in that role for a couple of years plus. And the great management, they were able to keep those folks in that role. I mean, a lot of these times, folks want a promotion after six to nine months. These folks were there for two years on the high end, somewhere anywhere, obviously. And the, the focus of this session that I ran was, what can we do in the sales development role that we can use to get ready for the account executive role? Obviously, in sales development, there are jobs where you can send emails, ask people for meetings, book the meetings, and you've hit your quota. And that's it. Well, that's not going to get you ready for a sales job. So there are there are 16 items that I identified that salespeople have to do, 16 competencies, for example. And I said 13 of them can be done in a sales development role. Let's just let's rattle these off. So in a sales development role, we need to know our sales math. How many activities does it take to get to our outcomes? Well, in, in sales development, how many, how many calls, emails, and other types of touches? Do we need to make to get conversations? How many conversations do we need in order to book meetings? How many meetings do we need to book in order to have a certain number hold where they actually show up and then work backwards to understand the activity from our goal? So if our goal is hold 20 meetings a month, then how many meetings do we need to schedule given our no-show rate? How many conversations with folks, either via call or email, do we have to have? And then how many touches, how many outbound activities do we need if we're doing outbound prospecting? And obviously that could be adjusted for inbound. So knowing the sales math. And then the second point, focusing the energy where you can have success. We call this the winning zone. Where are you uniquely positioned to win? Well, you can focus your energy in the right places as an SDR and as an AE. You can build and measure rapport with prospects. You can uncover pain. So as an SDR, instead of just passing the meeting along, maybe ask one good pain question. Also help your meetings stick more. Uh, you manage objections. Use active listening. You can ask great questions. So you're out there managing these folks. Probably, if you're listening to this, you're probably a manager. Or you want to be a manager soon. How do we get our folks to ask great questions that then they can translate into that future role? They can create velocity into the next meeting. They can disqualify bad prospects. What a great skill to learn early. They can ask for referrals. You can ask anybody for a referral. Manage the pipeline. Yeah, they don't have a pipeline with a forecast that's going up to the CRO to report to the board, but they definitely have folks that they've talked to before that haven't converted into meetings yet. That's still a pipeline. And with that, they can forecast. Okay, well, I've got 10 people I've talked to. I think three of them are going to convert this month based on XYZ. Great. And they can also be resilient, show resilience in the face of adversity. So I've outlined 13 items that someone could do in a sales development role with each of these items being critical for an account executive role. We don't need to do all of these in order to have success in sales development. If you do all of them, you're probably going to be more successful. The, the point here is that if we can identify the competencies needed in a future role, we can encourage people to start practicing them today 
And so then they're ready for that role and our, our washout rate is going to be less. The people that get promoted are going to be more successful or they're going to realize, hey, you know what? This isn't for me. And maybe it's something that once they start doing all of these activities, they realize they want to go do something else, go into customer success or marketing or start a cookie company. I don't, I don't know what they want to do. By the way, if you haven't heard about these cookie wars in Utah, Google that. It's very fascinating that cookie startups are suing each other. But there's lots of things that people can do. And if they learn what the job's all about, instead of it just being about more money and more responsibility, that's a great thing for, for everyone. All right. So we talked about the competencies, assessing them upon hire, assessing them as we look at internal promotions for folks. And then the the best teams that we observe doing this is they do it periodically, you know, usually on a quarterly basis, maybe semi-annually. Is it semi-annually or biannually? Well, every six months, fact check me on that one. And the, the process of scoring, I've talked about the zero to four scale, is if we get the manager to score and we get the person being managed, the, the, the salesperson, the SDR, the CSM, to score themselves across each competency, then we can look at those together and see a couple of things. One, where's the, where's the person at? Are they high, are they low in the middle? That's fine. Like I said, just knowing where they're at is key. You want these to be honest. And then the next piece is what's the disconnect between the manager and the person being scored, the rep, the individual contributor? Are the manager and the rep scoring each other the same or themselves? Or is the rep being scored the same by themselves and by the manager or are the scores wildly different? Some cases, people are overly confident and they might think they're further along than they are. In certain cases, they, they might feel like they, they're not quite where, where they actually are. If they're too self-critical or hard on themselves. And we find that in these cases, if you really want to get scientific about it, each score could be laid out across a rubric. So if we're saying, all right, we're going to score, let's let's say discovery, for example, score zero to four. So zero is unable to conduct a discovery call. Can't ask pain questions. You know, they just, they're at zero. And a four is they run the type of discovery meeting that you want to record and use for all of your new hire onboarding programs and talk about it at your sales kickoff. And then in between that, there might be some definition of what developing means. So if we're, if we're talking about somebody going from zero to a one, maybe it's that they know they know how to ask the right questions, but they struggle to do it under pressure. They've only got a handful of discovery questions that they can pull out. Maybe they struggle to talk to really senior personas and are more comfortable with junior folks, middle, middle management, something like that. What, whatever it is in your business, defining what it means to be at a one or what it means to be at a two, that way when you're scored, it's it's both transparent, fair, and consistent across the, the entire team. And then also backing that up with facts. You've got the CRM to look at. You've got call recordings. You've got the business intelligence tool, forecasting application, whatever it is, moving beyond just quota attainment. Because the key here is that salespeople, they can only control two things. They can control their quality of activity and their quantity of activity. And hitting quota doesn't necessarily tie to competency. It does. It's correlated. But the correlation is not one. We often find that folks that might have been in an industry for a really long time, worked at a company for a long time, they could they could score low on some competencies, especially around things like discovery, and make up for that with product knowledge. So that's that's where these also come in is how do you take your people that are performing well and understand how can you get more out of them? So in a in an ideal world, here we've got each person on the team with a defined set of competencies. We understand 
what their scores are across each one of those. And, and we're doing that on a quarterly basis. And then we can look at things like growth. Well, how are we growing those scores over time? We can look at correlation to quota attainment. And then finally, we can use it to prioritize coaching. In previous episodes, we talked about this idea of a coaching backlog where at Coach CRM, we often say that you, you only want to coach one thing at a time, but you want to identify a lot of different items that should be coached. So you have this backlog where you coach on one thing, you solve it, you move on to the next one. You get resolution there, you move on to the next one. Well, if you're, if you're looking at these scores on, these comp, on this competency matrix for an individual, it makes it real easy to prioritize, well, what would it take to take that person from a two to a four on a demo competency, for example? Well, let's, let's toss some items in the coaching backlog. And so we can really work with them in a more tactical way because you're not going to show them whatever scores, however transparent you want to be with us. You're not going to show them their, their competency matrix evaluation scores and then snap your finger and everything's going to be fixed. Coaching is going to help them apply the knowledge and the skill that they have in a better, more consistent way on an ongoing basis. And then tying that coaching to the competencies shows the type of impact that we're having. If a manager can show, hey, I took this person from point A to point B through coaching, using objective measures like these competencies, tying that to things like quote attainment, wow. That's a way that the manager can show that they're really having a lot of success and shine the light on their ability to develop talent, which is obviously a a key critical skill and something that we're working on all day, every day, over here at Coach CRM to make some of these things as easy as it can be for, for folks to do. So that's my, my take on competencies. I would, as a first step, I would highly encourage that you define what the competencies are for each role inside the organization. And at least as a start, score each person on your team. Use that zero to four scale. Zero meaning that they have no development at all. They just don't know how to do it. They haven't done it before. And a four is it's you want, to, you want to put that up on stage at the sales kickoff. See where they're at. You can have them score themselves too and see how those match up, if there's any difference. And then leverage that insight to create that coaching backlog. And if you want to see how those coaching conversations come to life, shoot me a note, free stuff at coachcrm.com, free stuff at coachcrm.com, and I'll flip you over our How to Coach Salespeople course for free. Well, that's a wrap. This has been the Sales Management Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Bray. Until next time, happy holidays.